Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hello again. And we've got a number of our youth that are away at uh, Youthquake this weekend, and looking out here, it's empty down here. So I, I miss them. I have a, just a whole new appreciation for them when they're here now, you know, willing to brave the spray zone. Um, and uh, <laughs> if you're not sure what that means, it will become painfully obvious very shortly, I'm sure. Um, hey, you know, I'm always interested. Um, the, the Sunday after Valentine's Day, to see who's here. Or maybe, better put, to see who's still here. You know, so looking out this morning, I'm not sure what to think. Are you the guys that did really well? Or are you the girls that are really benevolent? (laughs) You know, it's just a little question in my mind. I'm going to go with you're the guys that did really well, because I think that works out the best for all of us, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. At least if you're looking at me, think of me as the guy that did really well. I would appreciate that. (laughs) You guys are, there was a lot of snow or something, right? No, okay, forget it. I get it. Let's just go on and preach. Let's get out of this. Okay, okay. We, I hesitate to say that we've started a series. I don't think it's really a series. Um, And we haven't really just started. Ryan launched it last week, but we are, we are walking through, over the next number of weeks, the Gospel of Mark. And I'm kind of excited about that because we have, first of all, never taken on a Gospel before. We've done some books uh, in their t- totality, entirety, and, and that's been great. But I don't think we've ever taken on a Gospel, and so I'm excited to do that. Um, not only just because it's going to be a little bit of an extended time, um, but also because Uh, This is just an opportunity for us to see a panoramic picture of Jesus' ministry. We're going to start at the beginning of his ministry, and we're going to go right through to the end, and we're going to get this picture of Jesus in a a fuller way than we normally would. And some have actually even said that the Gospel of Mark is as close as we get to a biography of Jesus, where we get to just look into his world, and we, we get to see him. And so we're going to be doing that. But every bit as much, every bit as much as we are going to get a look at Jesus and as we're going to get a picture of him in his world, Jesus is also at the very same time now speaking back into our lives. All right, so this isn't just a one-way glass where we're looking at him, but he's speaking back into our lives as, as we see him and as we understand him and what he's all about and what he's doing. So, I'm excited about what God's going to do in and through us as we embark on this over the next number of weeks. And we're going to dive into that right away. But before we do, would you just bow your heads with me one more time and let's ask God to, again, come and speak to us. Father, this morning, we know that your word is alive and dynamic because you inhabit your word. 
And so this morning, God, I would ask that you would work in our hearts and minds, that your word would come alive to us today, that you would come alive to us today as we take a look at this passage from Mark. God, demonstrate yourself to us. As much as we might know you, as little or as much, wherever we're at on that spectrum, God, I pray that you would reveal to yourself even more of Reveal to us even more of yourself. That we would understand you better. That we would know you more. And that ultimately, that we would follow you more closely. And so to that end, I pray and I ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. Amen. Okay, just for some clarity's sake, um, as we go into this, and as Ryan started and as I continue today, just just for clarity's sake, we're not going to go through Mark verse by verse. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to go through it necessarily section by section. If you were to take the book of Mark and to divide it up, some would say that you could come up with at least 105 sections in Mark. And so we're not going to take 105 weeks because each of those sections you could conceivably preach on at least once, if not more. So instead, we're going to be going along. And so at some points, we're going to skip some sections. At some points, we may just refer to them as we go by them. Um, So just be aware of that. And, and, And in light of that, I would encourage you at home to be reading along. Read the book of Mark alongside of us as we do this, because you'll get an even fuller picture as we do that. Also, as we start, as I start at least, uh, into my section in this endeavor, I want to just say that I'm indebted to a number of Bible commentators as I've been reading and studying and preparing for this, um, the likes of N.T. Wright and James Edwards and William Barclay have been instrumental for me as I've been reading and and studying. And um, if you would ever like to get even deeper yet into the book of Mark, then come and talk to me. I've got some great resources that I can point you to that will help even expand the book even further than we're going to be able to do. This morning, we're going to be looking at a section of Mark starting in chapter 1, verse 16, and going through into uh, chapter 2, verse 17. So it's a big chunk of Scripture. And I apologize right off the hop that we're going to be moving fairly quickly. I hope that that won't be a problem. This section begins with Jesus calling Simon and Andrew, and then James and John. He comes to them and calls them. And then the section ends with him calling Levi or Matthew to come and follow him. And in between, Mark sets out to do exactly what Jesus himself was doing at the time. Mark sets out to give his readers, both then and now for us, an account of the different aspects and events of Jesus' life. He gives us his observation and provides us insight into who Jesus is is. At the time, Jesus was doing the same thing. He was coming along, and he was giving people insight into who he is. Gives them glimpses of his identity and his truth. Now, two things quickly before we dive specifically into this passage. First thing is this. It's really important to recognize That just as God has done since the fall of man, and then throughout the Old Testament, now he is doing the same thing again in the New Testament. 
Just as he started to do from the very outset, he is continuing to do right now, which is to say that he is trying to reconstitute a people unto himself. He is trying to come and then get people to engage in and to enter a relationship with him. He started that initially, obviously, in the garden with Adam and Eve, and then ran into problems, which forced some changes. He reset out to do it again through Abraham and then through Moses. And now he himself has come to do it in the form of Jesus Christ. He's arrived to say to you and to me, I want a relationship with you. Almighty God, come to earth in order to engage you and I together in relationship with him. That's been his objective from the outset, and it is his his objective again now as we come to the New Testament and as we enter the Gospel of Mark. So keep that in mind. Also, as we go through the book of Mark, pay particular attention to the disciples. As we make our way through this book, Mark sets out for us a clear look at what being a disciple is all about. We oftentimes talk about being followers of Jesus Christ, but herein, we are going to get some definition as to what that means. Mark, in a sense, if you will, puts some skin on it. He tells us what it means. He shows us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind and keep that in the back of your mind as we look at the different events and the different circumstances. Pay particular attention to what the disciples are up to. So we come to Mark 6, chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, then James and John. And sure enough, they follow him. Which brings us right away then to Mark 1, 21 and 22, where it says this. They went to Capernaum, and when, they, when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. We're going to stop right there. Mark writes that Jesus taught as one with authority. Now pay particular attention here. The word that Mark uses for authority is most commonly used in the context of the divine or supernatural. Which is to say that it's as in the authority was from God. Or it's as if the authority came from from a representative of God. That's the level of authority that Mark is attributing to Jesus as he, as he teaches. So Mark is saying here that as Jesus comes along and teaches, he's teaching at a level with an authority beyond the teachers of the law, beyond the scribes, beyond the Pharisees, the, the experts, if you will. Jesus has taken it to another level yet. So from that, we're to understand, we need to understand today that Mark is saying something different here. He's not saying that this is just a good teacher. He's not saying that Jesus is just a really good prof. He's pointing to Jesus as something more. He's more significant than just a good teacher. And it's fitting then that right on the heels of this that we discover that this authority goes beyond just his teaching. It doesn't just stop at his teaching. 
But it goes beyond that. Verse 23, we continue. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. Same word as Mark attributed to Jesus' teaching early, earlier. Mark's comment was that Jesus was teaching with authority. Now the people respond with their own observation. Same way, this authority, a divine authority, they recognize in Jesus. A new teaching with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Jesus is just out of the gate into his public ministry and already news is spreading like wildfire. Now, I don't think it is by accident, by accident or by coincidence that right as Jesus begins his public ministry from the very outset, right off the hop, he finds himself in a supernatural confrontation. Jesus is confronted by a man possessed by what Mark refers to as an impure spirit. Throughout the book of Mark, almost equally, Mark will refer to them as impure spirits or demons. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about here, but this morning, for the sake of time, four things I want to point out in this regard. First of all, number one, to Jews at the time, to the Jewish people, anything that was impure was ungodly. That was a huge aspect of their life, was trying to remain pure, to remain acceptable to God. Anything that was impure was ungodly. It was the antithesis of God. It was something that they had to, to do to be... To, something to be avoided. And, and if you didn't avoid it, then it was something that you needed to be purified from. Therefore, as we understand Mark writing this today, today, we need to understand that what Jesus has encountered here is an opposing supernatural force, an impure spirit, an opposing natural force, supernatural force. For you and I today, it's important that we understand that in this world, there are two forces. There's a godly force and there's an ungodly force that are working to their own ends and they're not the same ends. And that as we go through life, we are subject to their influences, to their tactics, to their strategies. And we need to be aware of that. We need to understand today that there is an opposing supernatural force out there in our world today that has an agenda and that we are implicated thereby in. Number two, we need to recognize that the demon knows the identity of Jesus. The demon recognizes Jesus. Jesus' full identity has now been established twice already by Mark. The first time was at his baptism, when the heavens opened, and God the Father spoke. 
This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God himself identified Jesus as his Son. But now for a second time, but this time from the opposing side, the opposition if you will, the demon identifies Jesus Christ as the Holy One of God. I know who you are, he says, the Holy One of God. We need to understand today that Jesus' identity is not unknown on those levels. That Jesus' identity is as clear and established in those realms. But for you and for I today, the question of Jesus' identity is still open for discussion and decision. You and I are the ones that have to arrive at a decision about who he is. Thirdly, Jesus commands the demon not to reveal his identity. And this follows from the second point. Now there are a few different theories on this. And I'm not going to actually take the time to go into them today. Any one of them might be right. It might be a combination of them all. But for what it's worth, this is my thought. So you can take it or leave it. When it comes right down to it, as Jesus, at this point in time, is choosing to not reveal himself fully, and for us today, has not appeared and declared himself as God, I think that it rests on this fact. That Jesus is not at this point looking for an admission from us as to who he is. He is not looking to just establish himself as God beyond a shadow of a doubt where we have to admit that he is God. He knows that that time is coming. Jesus knows that there will be a time when that admission will be required. That one day, every knee is going to bow, and one day, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But at this stage of the game, then and even for us now, Jesus is not coming to demand from us an admission. He is coming for us today and looking for a decision. He is looking for us to weigh the evidence and to voluntarily in and of ourselves make the decision as to who He is. Will we decide that He is God? Or will we not? And so at this point, Jesus says to the impure spirit, be quiet. Don't go there. It's not that time yet. The fourth thing that we need to understand and we need to recognize from this confrontation with this impure spirit is that number four, Jesus triumphs. Jesus triumphs. In his confrontation, with the supernatural powers of this world, Jesus overcomes. Always remember it and don't ever forget. His strength is superior. He calls for the Spirit to come out of the man, and the Spirit does. His power is greater. 
than any opposing force. And we will see that throughout the book of Mark, up to and including Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Now Mark's account continues on. He heads back to Simon and Andrew's house and he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And at that point, news has really begun to spread about what's going on and people start showing up. And so Jesus spends considerable time through the rest of that day healing others and casting out more demons. And after a long day of it, then Mark points out that the next morning, Christ gets up early and goes out and takes time to pray. Now, we don't have time to go into this today, but I want to note it. Church family, don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. And don't ever underestimate our need to pray. To draw strength from God the Father. Jesus needed it. He looked to it. He leveraged it for his ministry. And we need to as well. And while we're here, just parked on this for a minute, can I ask you again, have you been praying for those three people in your world that God brought to your mind last year that need to know him, that don't know him yet? Have you been praying for them? Remember to pray for them. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, last year we set aside some time, we wrote down some names on a card of people that don't know Jesus yet, that don't know God, and we've been praying for them. I'd encourage you, if you didn't, weren't here for that, do it now. Write down three names that you can be praying for and be praying for them regularly, day by day, week by week, that they would come to know God. Then we see that the disciples arrive and, and, and the people are starting to come out in mass and they're saying, this is going to be a problem. And so they, they head out on, actually on the road and they go out to the villages and the communities surrounding Capernaum. And they begin there teaching. Jesus begins teaching and, and healing. And it includes a surprising encounter with a leper. It's actually, it's just, it's, it's very startling. And we don't have time to go into that either. Um, but Jesus, in a sense, just in a moment, turns the convention upside down, the law upside down, as he encounters this leper. And so sometime we'll go get a chance, I hope, to go back and look at that. But that brings us today to Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here. I want to read this section. Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. It says there, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, they had come home. The people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to, them, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, uh, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, 
Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. What starts here as just another healing that Jesus is doing for this paralyzed man turns quickly into a confrontation with the religious leaders. And I'm going to do my best to dis- distill this very quickly into what happens here. This, what's, what's at stake in this transaction? The, the teachers of the law hear Jesus say to this guy, your sins are forgiven, and it blows their minds. It sends them right off the rails. Because they know that the only one that can forgive sins is God. And for anyone to start bantering about that they're going to forgive sins is blasphemy. And at the time, blasphemy is punishable by death. So the fact that Jesus just healed a guy is like right out the window. They could care less anymore about the healing part. Now they're fixated on this idea that Jesus just said that he forgives sins. And here's the problem. They're not interested in any way, shape, or form in entertaining the idea that Jesus might actually be more than they think. Their hearts are closed to Christ's true identity. They're not going to go there. Jesus understands that, and he addresses it by saying this, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. In other words, in effect, Jesus is saying this, hey, The power to heal and the power to forgive sins is the same. It comes from the same place. And so then he says, I want you to know. I want you to know. I want you to know. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. Jesus more or less says to the religious leaders of the day and to you and I today, do the math. Do the math. I'm not here straight up declaring that I'm God. But I'm telling you that the power to heal and the power to forgive sins is the same. It comes from the same place. And I want you to know I have the authority on earth to forgive sins and to demonstrate it that he has the ability to forgive sins. He heals the man. Now, we know 
as we continue to read how the religious leaders added that up in their minds. And it didn't add up to them considering that Jesus was God. For them, it added up to Jesus being considered the opposition. It added up to them considering him, deciding, determining him as the enemy, as a threat. The question for you and I today is, how do we do the math? Who does Jesus add up to for you and I today? Which brings us nicely back to Jesus calling his disciples. Here we'll jog back first to Mark 1, verses 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Then, Mark 2, verses 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, or Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. And his disciples. Note the disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law were fair who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. For you and I this morning, as it pertains to Jesus' call then, there are five things that we need to note today. Number one, we first need to recognize the authority of Jesus' call. For you and I today, number one, we have to recognize the authority of Jesus' call. Jesus rolls up to these guys that are fishing. They're in their boats. They're with their nets. And he says to them, follow me. That's it. He doesn't appeal to anything else. He doesn't appeal, for instance, to the law 
or the scriptures. He doesn't say, hey, like is laid out in the scriptures. There's a coming Messiah. I'm him. Remember what Isaiah said. Remember what Jeremiah said. Remember all these guys that talked about this guy that was coming. I'm him. Follow me. Nope. He doesn't pull up to the boat and say, hey. John the Baptist. Remember him? Remember that one that he was talking about? The one that's greater than him that was coming, following him? That would be me. Follow me. No. Doesn't appeal to them on the basis of an endorsement by John the Baptist. He doesn't come up alongside and say, hey, my name's Jesus. Let me tell you about my platform to change the world. Doesn't appeal to them based on a platform. You know, this is going to be an interesting year for us. For those of us in Alberta, we've got a provincial election. We've got a federal election coming up. There are going to be a number of people that are going to be getting up. They're going to come alongside you and they're going to say, hey, my name is, and this is my platform. This is what I plan to do for you. Follow me. But I dare say, none of them, there's not going to be one of them that's going to get up and say, hey, follow me. And turn around and walk away. Doesn't happen in our world, does it? Jesus rolls up and he says, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, follow me. And they do. With Jesus, the authority of the call rests on nothing more than the one who calls. What do you say today? Who is it that is calling? Number two, we need to note that there are no qualifications required to answer the call. And this isn't rocket science. I'm sure you've heard this before, but it bears repeating. There is no prerequisite to following Jesus. Now this again would stand in just such stark contradiction to what these people would have recognized at the time or what they would have anticipated at the time. Because six ways from Sunday, no, sorry, they're Jewish. Six ways from Saturday, the Sabbath, it would have been drilled into their head that they needed to measure up, that they needed to know the law, that they needed to have memorized it, that they needed to have been living by it, never violating it, in order to be accepted, in order to be deserving. That somehow that they needed to be doing something to gain favor with God. And Jesus turns it upside down by saying to some simple, ordinary guys, follow me. No prerequisites required. 
Now, that's not to say that because there's no prerequisites that it's going to be simple, which brings us to the next point. Number three, more often than not, we need to know, more often than not, there is going to be a risk of faith in accepting the call. Something we don't talk about much. But we've got to know it. More often than not, there's going to be a risk in accepting the call. Peter and Andrew, James and John, Levi, all had to walk away from their business. They had to walk away from their income, their security. To some extent, they had to walk away from their family. They had to leave it behind to follow Jesus. When Jesus came up and said, follow me, they didn't know where he was going or where this was going to lead. And neither do we. Neither do we. Jesus says, follow me. There's a risk. What are we going to do? Are we going to follow? Will you take the risk? Number four. Jesus' call is a call to service, not just belief. This morning we need to understand that Jesus' call is a call to service, not just belief. One day, they're going to plant me. Hopefully somewhere near here. Hopefully long before all of you. And here's the thing. If there becomes at some point an occasion where you think back about Bainton, there's going to be lots of things I'm sure that you'll remember. Lots of ways that I messed up. But I hope and I pray this, that one thing that you'll remember it, that you won't forget, is that he always, always, always said, in our actions lie the contents of our beliefs. In our actions lie the contents of our beliefs. Church family, God is looking for more than just our intellectual assent. He is looking for more than just an admission of our belief. He is looking to what we do. Because in our actions lie the contents of our belief, which is to say, show me what you do and I will show you what you believe. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we can't just say, I believe. We've got to get out and do something. 
We've got to follow him wherever that leads as he guides and directs. James Edwards says this, only as Jesus is followed can he be known. And to that I say, amen. Until we follow him, we can't know him. We can know of him. We can know about him. But we only get to know him as we follow him. The contents of our beliefs are in our actions. God calls us to service, not just to belief. Lastly, this morning, we need to remember and don't ever forget, this call is not just for the disciples. It is for us as well, for you and me both. Jesus comes to us and he says, follow me. And because of who he is, It demands a response. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, as we come to Mark, as we read his account, I pray, God, that you would help us to see you for who you are. That you would reveal yourself to us in such a way is that we would make the decision that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and that we would then follow you hard all the rest of our lives. To that end, by your Spirit work, God, remove the scales from our eyes, remove the calluses from our hearts, speak into us, demonstrate yourself to us by your Spirit, For I pray these things now in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. Amen.